Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Uh, You know, when you think of Jesus Christ, you think of his ministry and when his ministry begins. And when we look at the the beginning of Christ's ministry, um, he goes up to these two guys in Mark 1, 16 and 17. And you might, you all probably know this because one thing I know about this church, you people know the Bible. You know it very, very well. But it says, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And, and so you, you all know that verse, but did you realize that this is the first command that God gives in the New Testament church? Because Jesus doesn't have disciples yet. There's no disciples, so there's no church. So when you, when you think of these words, you think, well, this is the first command that he gives and the beginning of the New Testament church really starts here. And when you look at the history of of, of rabbinical law and how the rabbis were, every rabbi would have students and they would teach them and train them. Some had had just some, some would have seven or 800. Uh, uh, Saul was taught by the the most famous uh, rabbi of his day, but Jesus was noted as a rabbi. And if I was going to uh, pick a rabbinical student and say, come and follow me, because that's what every rabbi would do. Somewhere in his life, he would say, I need followers. I need people who I can train up and they can do exactly what I do. And so they would pick 12. So 12 is not unique to Jesus. They always would pick 12. And, but they only gave one phrase. <coughs> the phrase they would say was, come and follow me. That's all they would say. And uh, the boys would answer a very weird answer. They'd say, I will eat your dust. That's what the tradition is. And that means I'll follow you so close, I'll be just like you. But Jesus does something different than any other rabbi has ever done in the history of, of, of the rabbis. And that is, first of all, he never went to Jerusalem to get his students. Now, if you're going to get your best rabbinical students, you definitely are going to go to Jerusalem. I was a missionary in Jerusalem, and they still have schools there. They still have rabbis. It's, 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 they're still doing it today. But I would pick them. But Jesus surprises us. He goes 70 miles north to a town called Capernaum, which is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And, and Jesus goes there, and it's noted as a fishing village. And so why would Jesus go to a fishing village to pick his first disciples? It's because of this second part of this uh, phrase that he gives us when he says, come and follow me. What does come and follow me mean? It means fall in love with me. Let me set you free. Let me help you. My problem was alcohol. I was an alcoholic before I met Christ. And uh, I was just thinking about um, two days ago, this thought came to me. I remember that I had decided to start smoking marijuana. And I gave my cousin $25. And I said, hey, Harry, can you buy some marijuana for me? And he said, yeah, I'll give it to you tomorrow night. And then I had a girl. I said, do you want to uh, do something? She said, I'm available. I said, okay. But that day I got witness to on my campus. A guy came up to me, and for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was happy to hear it. I had gone to church my whole life. I believed in Jesus. I believed in God. I believed in the Bible. But I didn't follow it. I just thought Christianity was you try to be a good person, and you go to church. But Nick said something to me I'd never heard before. He says, you don't have to just know about God. You want to know God. And I said, I never knew he was knowable. I never knew you could know God. I just thought... You just try to be a good person. I never knew you could have a friendship with God. And he said, yes, you can. So I prayed that day, and I gave my life to Christ. But then I remember I called my cousin 
about two hours later, I said, Harry, he said, yeah, I said, you can keep that money. I don't want that marijuana. And I called that girl. I said, I'm not coming. We're not doing this. And in my heart, within moments after a prayer that I prayed, I never wanted to take drugs. I never wanted to have sex before marriage. I didn't want to do it no more. I wanted to live a holy life. I was instantaneously affected by the power of the Spirit of God just through a simple prayer of commitment to Jesus Christ. It was amazing to me. Uh, and then, thanks be to God. And, and as an alcoholic, I had tried to quit five times and I made vows, never again. The most I made it was three days, <laughs> that was it. I just couldn't do it, you know. It was like, it, it just, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, I could taste it, this thought would come in my mind, when are you gonna have your first drink? And I would start thinking about it and it possessed my mind. But 20 days after I received Jesus Christ, I was at a bar and I was drinking and I had this crazy mentality, you know, like we have this weird way to think sometimes. We're like, we think stupid sometimes, you know, and I, I thought stupid, you know, and I said, I'm gonna go get drunk and I'm gonna invite my friends to come to the Bible study and we'll go get drunk together after Bible study, you know? And I thought that was okay, you know? Talk about mess, but that, when you grow up in, where everybody around you is drinking, you just think it's okay, you know? And, uh, and that's how I was. Uh, that was, that was uh, my family. When I went with my uncles, I mean, we all had a case of beer next to us while we played cards, you know? That's just how we were as a family. Um, and I remember my family reunions. Had over 120 people there. We'd all get there. We'd get drunk. We'd fight and go home. That was that was our reunion. You know, that's that's the way it went. So 20 days after I become a Christian, I'm sitting at that bar and I look at that beer, and I say, I don't want you no more. I don't need you no more. Everything that I ever thought I'd get in you, I got in Jesus, and it's a million times better, a million times better, and I'm sticking with Jesus. And so I grabbed that glass and I went like this, boom. And I had all these guys at the bar, and they all got soaking wet. And my last name is Tony. And they said, Tony, what are you doing? I said, I'm done with this. They said, we'll see you in a couple days. Well, they did see me. I went back there two months later with my whole Bible study group. And I was noted as a fighter. And I fought all the time. And I'd say, boys, men in this, in this bar, we're singing Amazing Grace together. You're singing with me. And they said, okay, we'll sing with you, you know. And I made the whole bar sing Amazing Grace. And, we, and uh, then I went to the second bar, my third bar. I went to all three bars. We sang. And I said, put those drinks down. We're singing now. He said, okay, Tony, we'll listen to you, you know. Uh, but the power of Jesus to transform a person, you know, is an amazing thing, you know. And I had a man that I planned his murder. You know, there's no doubt I was going to kill this man. I, I was dedicated to it. And uh, shortly after I became a Christian, I met Debbie. And, and, and Debbie told me that was stupid, you know? <laughs> and uh, I remember I thought, I told her one day, I said, I'm gonna kill him, then I'm gonna ask God to forgive me, then I'll be a good Christian after that, you know? And again, I, th I thought it was okay, you know? It's like the weirdest way we think, you know? It's like, we just, you know, I was, everything the Bible was, I was the opposite. There's a Bible and there's Doug over here. I, was, I, was, I wasn't a sinner, I was an enemy of God. That's what I was, I was an enemy of God. And, uh, but Jesus, he could take enemies of God and he could make us friends, you know? And um, I can't remember, uh, Debbie sat me down one day and she said, she said, Doug, here's a Bible verse. It says, if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. I said, and I started ripping it out of the Bible. 
And she said, what are you doing? I said, I don't want that in my Bible. And she said, well, if you rip it out of your Bible, it's still the truth. I said, then I'd rather go to hell than forgive this man. Let me go to hell. I'm not forgiving him. Forget it. You know, I said, God's not going to stop me. The devil's not going to stop. I'm killing this man. You know, I was dedicated to it, you know. And, uh, but then shortly after that, my, my wife, she invited me. Can you go hear this woman speak tonight? I said, okay. Her name is Corey Ten Boom. And uh, <laughs> I went and heard her testimony. And I was so moved by the power of love. Because it's not hard to hate. It's not hard to be bitter. But sometimes when people treat you bad, it's hard to love, right? But Corey loved that guard who kicked her sister because her sister died after that. And Corey said, I, I shouted out, let the love of God be shed abroad in my heart for this man. And she said, I never had a moment of unforgiveness. I said, I never knew strength existed like that. I never knew power. So I prayed that prayer. And shortly after that, I forgave that man. And the next day he attacked me to kill me. He was trying to kill me. And it's a long story, but he was literally trying to kill me. And the craziest thing happened. The love of God is pouring out of my heart. For this guy's wanting to kill me. And, uh, and so I shouted, Fred, I love you and I forgive you. He said, what you say? I said, I love you and I forgive you. He said, I don't care. And he ripped my Bible in half. He said, I'm going to kill you anyway. And I just said, do what you got to do. But the last thing you're going to hear is, is I love you and I forgive you. And I just closed my eyes. I said, because he was a big man. He was, he was a fullback. I was a defensive back. If you know anything about football, defensive backs are, I'm not skinny now, but I was skinny back then. And he was totally built, man. He was a huge man. I say, he got one punch, I'm, I'm dead, you know. And uh, I was going to kill him with a gun. But not, <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to get close to him, <laughs> far away. And, uh, and I, I waited like six or seven seconds, and he didn't hit me. And I opened my eyes, and he was like this. I said, what's wrong, Fred? He said, I can't move my arm. I cannot hit you. I said, that's an angel, and I love you. And he drops his arm down. And there was people in the house who said, Fred, kill him. What are you doing? And he looked at him and said, how can I kill a man who keeps telling me he loves me? And I can tell he means it. And I don't want to kill him no more. I don't want to do anything bad to this man. Instantly, the hate came out of him that God took out of me. That's a power of God. Would you, would you agree? That's a power of God. So that all goes with come and follow me. All that comes with comfort, because Jesus can do all that for us, can't he? He does all that, and then we become his friend. But then Jesus adds a phrase on that's never been added on, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, why did Jesus pick fishermen? Because he wanted us to know that that's our job. Our job is to follow Jesus and be a fisher of men, and to go after them for the gospel like we did this week. You know, and I do my whole life. We fish for people. We fish for Catholics. We fish for Muslims. We fish for atheists. We fish for alcoholics. We fish for people who are murderous in their spirits. We fish for those people. We pray for, uh, and we say, God, help me to know how to witness them. We won so many Muslims to Christ in Philadelphia this week. The number is actually huge. It's, I mean, we were just out there witnessing them, and they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And so <clears throat> when you think about this, this moment, realize that this is the first command to you, that you are to be a fisher of men. So I've asked my young people uh, uh, to do something for us today. And this is this, in, in the 1800s, you might probably heard of the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon. How many ever heard of Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher? 
Well, he invented this book called the Wordless Book. And it's, it's the gospel through colors is what it is. And then the last page, which is green, was invented by Amy Semple McPherson, who started the Foursquare denomination. And then missionaries around the world, we use this simple proclamation of the gospel. It's a, it's a wonderful way for people to understand the gospel. And the number one reason you don't share the gospel or people or Christians don't share the gospel is because you're afraid. You're afraid of what they're gonna say back to you. You're afraid of their reaction to you. And plus you feel ill-equipped. You feel like, I don't know how to do it. I just don't know. Does anybody, if you, if you agree with me, can you raise your hand at all? Does anybody, you guys know what I'm talking about, you know? And so when we train these young people, they know how to share their faith. They know how, when they go out there, they're confident. They, they answered great theological questions on the streets of Philadelphia uh, in the last seven days. We went to the, uh, we were in a parade, uh, an anti-violence parade, and uh, they had a hay wagon, and our guys were on top of the hay wagon. We were on the news because of that. Uh, it was a beautiful event. Uh, we went down to McPherson Park, right a block from it, and we had a big block party there. Um, and 19 people received Christ at that block party. Um, and uh, we just kept going. We just didn't stop. We've been to parks near here. We've been all over the city. And we've worked with probably over 25 churches, uh, different churches throughout the time. Um, and so we have been doing our best to drag people out of the very fires of hell, the very gate of hell to drag them, to drag them out. And so when we look at this, this command that Jesus gives us, we say, well, that, if it's the first thing he said, that's important. Now, let's think about the last command that Jesus gives in the Gospels. We saw you, we showed you the first one. Let's look at the last one. It's in Mark 16, 15. So you can look at that. The Joshua generation cannot look at it because we took all their phones. A couple of them asked me this morning, when do we get our phones back? I said, when you get in the car with your mother, I'll give it to you then. Till then, you ain't getting it. So in Mark 16, 15, it's, the last thing Jesus says is go into all the world and preach the gospel to all men. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then we go down to 19, it says, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. So this is the last command that he gives in the gospel. So I told you the first command, now the last command is to go and preach the gospel to, to all the nations. And I remember when I was a, a new Christian, I met this old missionary and, uh, and he said, Doug, I think you're gonna be a leader. I want you to go to Brazil with me. I had no desire to go to Brazil. I didn't, I didn't even know that was part of the job of being a Christian, that you had to go to other countries, you know. And in fact, before he talked to me, I remember the second week after I got saved, I was in college. Uh, I went to California State University, but it's actually in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and, and, and my friend who led me to Christ, he says, hey, Doug, we're going on a campus today, and we're going to witness to people. And I thought to myself, what's he talking about, you know? And he said, and I said, well, have a good time. He said, no, you're coming with us. I said, what? Is that part of being a Christian? We have to go and tell others about Jesus? He said, yeah, that's part of it. And I said, I don't want to go. He said, I guess you don't want to be a Christian. I said, oh, no, no, no. I want to be a Christian. I want to go. I remember the first time I went out, I started witnessing this Buddhist guy. He's telling me about Nirvana, all the cool things. And I was thinking, man, this sounds pretty good, you know. And uh, Nick comes over. He goes, what are you doing? I said, well, this kind of sounds good, Nick. He goes, come with me, man. We better train you a little bit. You have no clue what you're doing out here, you know. And uh, 
And so I went back the next week. We mainly we witnessed around the student union, then we'd go to the different dorms on our campus. I think we went to every dorm. There was nowhere. We made it hard for somebody from our campus to go to hell. That was our goal. It's going to be hard for you to go to hell on our campus. We bought Bibles for every single person on our campus. We bought Bibles for everyone and gave them out to all of them. They loved us. They, lo they loved us in that time. But uh, my goodness, uh, so I learned I got a witness locally. And then this old missionary says, well, you got to go to Brazil. And I said, well, and you know, if you don't want to do something as a Christian, what do you do? You kind of get this spiritual look on your face, fold your hands, and you say, I'll pray about it. Doesn't that sound spiritual? You know, we like, I'll pray about it. And so that's why I tried on the old guy. I think he's heard this a million times. He started laughing at me. I was like, why are you laughing at me? He goes, it says go. It doesn't say pray about it. It's, he said, don't you understand the G or the O? I said, well, I guess I'm going to Brazil. <laughs> you know, and I went to Brazil and we went to a town called Ubatuba and they had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They never knew anything about Christianity, knew nothing. They knew about voodoo. They knew about Macumba. They knew all that kind of stuff. Uh, they had a warped sense of Catholicism. And so we went in there and, and we preached the gospel for five weeks every day in that town. And 700 of them became Christians during that time. And, uh, and so we give God the glory. Well, four years later, we went back there and we, we had trained them. We had not only won them to Christ, but we trained them in how to share their faith. And, and they, they reported to us that they had won 30,000, that that 700 had won 30,000 with Christ. And, uh, you know, so the power of God to change, to change a life. And so when we do Joshua generation, we think about these verses. We think about the first command, the last command. Now, let's look at the last time Jesus speaks to us, period. Doesn't speak after this, it's in Acts 1.8. So if you got your Bibles and wanna look at that or whatever, but let's look at Acts 1.8. Are you guys enjoying this? All right, thank God. I got my wife's Bible because the words are bigger. And, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So these are the last words that Jesus says on planet earth. And what are they about? Re receiving the Holy Spirit, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, so that we can be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's really our call, is to be, is to be great witnesses for Christ. But it's interesting to note that there was a 30-year span between the time that they're in Jerusalem and the great revival happens, 3,000 are added, they, then they become 5,000. But from Acts 1-8 to Acts 8-1, nobody leaves Jerusalem. You don't see any missionary activity out of Jerusalem during those 30 years. And so God says, you know, it's wonderful to see what's happening. People are being healed. The church is growing. People are being added daily. But the Lord's thinking about China. <clears throat> He's thinking about Africa. He's thinking about Europe. He's thinking about the nations. I got to get these people to the nations. I got to do something to get them. So in Acts 8.1, God does something. So let's look at that. Acts 1.8 to Acts 8.1. This is a radical way for God to move.
it says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all, you see that word all, A-L-L? Every person is scattered. Where? Right where God told them to go, to Judea, to Samaria. And it says, and they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And, and all of a sudden, right after that, if you want to talk about the growth of the church worldwide, where does it begin? It doesn't really begin in Acts 1. It begins here in Acts 8. And after this, you see all of a sudden, look at the next chapters, the explosion of the church. The explosion of the church. And by the year 300, the gospel is really spread around the world by, by these people who have been basically drug out of their houses by Saul. Drug out. I mean, talked about drug out of their houses. Because right after that, it talks about that, you know, and, and, and verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere. And what did they do? Preaching the word. Finally, we're getting out of the church. We're getting out of our comfort zone. And we're, we're, we're almost forced. And, and I find people who don't do evangelism, who don't share their faith with people, their hearts are like this big. You know, they love their family, they pray for their family, they love themselves, they pray for themselves, sometimes they'll pray for their church, but beyond that, you don't see much. In fact, there's been research done that most Christians only pray about those things. They don't pray for the nations, they don't pray for Philadelphia, uh, they don't pray for uh, uh, things, they just, because it's, it's a small heart, but when you begin to tell others about Jesus, like these young people have done, and probably a lot of you have done it too, but your heart gets bigger. It gets bigger, it gets bigger, and more love comes in, more joy, more peace, uh, you know, because you were made for adventure. Would you agree? You were made for adventure. You were made to do great things for God. You were made to be conquerors. Jesus said you would be conquerors for me, and you were made to do that, you know, and, uh, and so this is the call on our life is to be great conquerors for Christ. My son Jeremy, uh, is he here? Is Jeremy here? Hey, Jeremy, why don't you come up and tell them a little bit about, he was in the Bronx, and, uh, and they had a big party in the Bronx, New York, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, amazing time, so he'll give a, a quick story on the Bronx. Here he comes. Hello. All right, we're here. Hey, guys. Okay, I'm out of breath. I ran up here. All right. Uh, just really quickly, yeah, so we, um, we work in a neighborhood in the Bronx called uh, Fordham. <clears throat> it's, uh, man, there's thousands of people everywhere. But um, over the past five days, we've been saturating this area um, in the gospel. And at the end of the week, uh, we invited everyone out <clears throat> to a block party. Uh, we had a, a dear friend of ours, they came up with this massive smoker and do ribs and chicken and all this amazing stuff and and uh, we did face painting and all these awesome stuff but the best part about it is that um we had over 90 people come to christ during the during the gathering and uh you know people it was, so what we did we had it on the streets and um and every person that came to the um block party Go, is going to be followed up on every person. We gave away a bunch of bikes and AirPods and all crazy stuff and blessed this whole community. But the great thing is we then we brought them inside to the church and did our final performance. And we had 20 or 30 people that said, man, tomorrow morning 
I'm coming back here. I'm coming in church. It's a big difference between giving someone a hot dog outside and then them being inside a church and, and experiencing the staff there and getting encouraged. And so we had, um, from the outreach, we had 250 people come from the outreaches to the church to get blessed and to get encouraged. And um, it was incredible to see. And all these people got to sign their kids up for VBS, get connected in that way. So um, it was amazing. We filled up the entire block with people. Um, and so just, just know that these people that we had met four or five days ago um, ran to that church and, and got to be a part of it. So, man, every little conversation you have has such a massive impact on people. You guys have no idea. Just your little yes, your little act of obedience to tell someone about Christ, invite them to church, invite them to something. Um, you never know what can happen with, with a little bit of courage that the Lord can give you. And so, um, yeah, this is our seventh year in the Bronx, and we just keep investing in this area and seeing now, now you know, seven years later that many, many people are still a part of that church. Um, uh, so a short testimony, we, we were out in a, a park called St. James Park in the Bronx, this huge park, and we were doing the Wordless Book, and we had these kids come up to us, um, three kids around 12, 13 years old, and they... We started sharing the book and they're like, oh, we, we got saved two years ago with you guys. And we, we, the one girl still had her wordless book with her. And this was three years later, she still had it and she could still tell it to us. And you think, well, you know, all, all these people, you're going to hear an incredible number. But man, just know, like, have you ever, like most of us in this room, probably have never been witnessed to one-on-one. -on -one. If you have, it's pretty rare. And so when someone is bold in their faith, to share their faith, it literally not only changes you, but it, it changes the, the outlook of people about Christians. And we're not just isolated, sitting in a building. We're out there caring for the community, preaching the gospel. So that's an amazing testimony. So go, Jesus. That's it. That's all I got. You know, one thing is that uh, when we go, uh, I remember coming first time in 2005 here to Philadelphia, and uh, we were leading all these people to Christ. And I remember I came back in 2007, and I was witnessing this guy. He said, stop. I said, what? He gets his wallet out, pulls out the wordless book. He said, you led me to Christ two years ago. I never forgot that moment, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I was in Romania as a missionary, and I was training Romanians in how to do this drama and how to share their faith throughout the country. And they came to me and they said, hey, we don't think you're going to like this, but we want to go to another town to preach the gospel because there's a town called Samaria and we know they've never heard anything about Jesus Christ. And I said, you don't understand, I'm a missionary. I want to go to places where they've never heard. That's my desire. Let's go. So we went over there and we went into this huge area uh, to perform. But just before we performed, our tire went flat on the van. And, uh, and they, they were all upset because they're very poor. They don't have anything. And they're like, we got to fix it. I go, well, where's the spare? And he said, oh, in Romania, we don't have spares. And I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, we knock on doors and hopefully somebody will be kind enough. And it's already like six o'clock. And I said, in the name of Jesus, heal that tire. We got to go win these people to Christ. That's what I said. I just went, heal that tire. And they went, okay, let's go. We went to this community. And almost everybody got saved, like 200 people received Christ. And then I said to them, you need a pastor. We need to start a church here. Uh, is that okay with you? And they said, yes, please bring us a pastor. So I trained a pastor. We went back a year later. It's now a whole year. By the way, at the end of the day, and, and this is crazy thinking, we went back and the tire was healed. And uh, I remember a year later, 
one of my friends said to me, Doug, I believe all your stories, but that tire story, you're not telling the truth. And so we went back to Romania, he came with me, and, and all the Romanians went, it's true, the tire got healed. It's, it's, it's the same one, and, and God just healed that tire. And so we went back to Samaria, we went back to that same area, and we did the drama, and I said, who wants to receive Christ? And nobody raised their hand. And I said, what's wrong? And they said, you prayed with us last year. We gave our life to Jesus. And, and I said, did I make a promise to you? And they said, yeah. I, I said, what was the promise? You said you'd bring a pastor. I said, here he is. And they started a church the next day. You know, and we think when we lead somebody to Christ, they're just going to forget about it. They just say, forget about it. You know, Manchester, New Hampshire. We did that on the west side of Manchester. Went back a year later, same thing. Raise your hand. Nobody wanted to get saved. They said, man, we're walking with the Lord. We, you, you led us to Christ a year ago. We are, we, are, we are walking with the Lord. Is Victoria Jackson here in the audience? I don't know if she's here right now. She, come up. Victoria, come on up. She has a wonderful story about a little girl she talked to yesterday. And I thought she'd, you'd want to hear this amazing story. Uh, by the way, as she's coming up, if you're from another country and you're in Joshua generation, run up here real fast. Come on up. Steve, come on up. You're from another country, Steve. Come on. We got Egyptians coming up. These guys are from Egypt. Uh, Colombia, South America. Haiti. What other countries do we have, guys? Uh, two of the teams are gone. Oh, these guys are Colombians. They're from Colombia. Oh, no, Brazilians. I'm sorry. You're going to hit me if I tell you you're from Colombia. So, yeah, we have a lot of countries. But go ahead. Tell the story. Uh, thank you, Doug. Uh, my name's Victoria Jackson. I'm from outside of Boston. I am 60 years off. old. Oh, thank off. you. I'm 60 years old, and I'm a student in the Joshua generation. We've been privileged to support the Tunnies for a number of years. And when they were telling us about the Joshua generation, I said, I need that. I need to learn how to share my faith. I've been in business for 20 years, and I've been a little stifled. I allowed myself to be stifled, and they were very gracious, and they said, come. So yesterday, and I've had a fantastic time. I've had a fantastic time. It's really changed my life. But yesterday, um, we were at a park, and I was, on a, uh, I was helping the kids on the swing set, and we started singing Jesus Loves Me with the sign language, and one little girl said, oh, I don't know that song. And so I taught it to her, and I said, do you know about Jesus? And she said, yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, she said, yeah, Jesus died for me. I said, that's great. I said, you know, he can come and live in your heart. And she said, really? She's six years old. She had her face just lit up. I said, yes. She said, how? I said, you pray. She said, how do I pray? I said, we'll do it right now. And so I, I prayed the prayer, and she repeated after me for Jesus to wash away her sins and to come and live in her heart. And she was so happy. And then her sister showed up and said, oh, she's going to be able to go to vacation Bible camp. Um, it's, it's starting soon. Nana will tell her about it. But she was just so open, so open, and so hungry, and just such a little angel. It blessed exactly. my heart. Hey, give it to Paul over. Meu nome é Paulo. My name is Paulo. 
Eu sou do Brasil. I'm from Brazil. Eu sou da Jocum há 20 anos. I'm from Wyoming for about 20 years. Eu sou missionário de tempo integral na I'm missão. I'm a missionary for full time in a mission. Eu sou fruto de evangelismo de rua. The reason I'm here today because I am a result of evangelism in streets. O meu coração queima por evangelismo. My heart is burning ignited with evangelism. Eu estava perdido numa cidade. I was totally Brasil. I was totally destroyed in the middle of such a huge uh, city in Brazil. Envolvido com drogas. I was involved with all kind of bad things, drugs and sexuality and stuff, all bad bad stuff things. Relacionamentos todos quebrados. My relationships always broken. Minha família não acreditava em mim. Even my own family, they didn't believe in me anymore. Alguém chegou e aproximou de mim. And then someone came and approached to me and share about the, the e, gospel. E pregou o evangelho para mim. And they preached to me. E minha vida nunca mais foi a mesma. And my life was the same anymore. E Deus me chamou agora para esse tempo para estar aqui na América. And God called me to be here in, in America for this time. E eu não tenho outra razão para estar aqui para pregar o evangelho. I have no re no other reason to be here is just to preach the gospel. E eu tenho visto o que Deus tem feito aqui na América. And I have seen what God is doing here in America. Quando as pessoas abrem a porta, muitas das vezes quando vamos fazer evangelismo. So most of the time when people open their doors of their homes for us to preach the gospel. A ação do Espírito Santo, as pessoas já começam a chorar. We can see the the action action of the Holy Spirit. They they start to cry. Tem visto pessoas sendo curadas. I have seen people be healed. Tem visto gangues sendo transformadas. People from gangs to be transformed like I was one day. Isso é o poder do evangelho. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. This is the power of the gospel. And I have this passion in my heart. Thank you so much. We want to uh, uh, finish our part of the service uh, with a song. Uh, but uh, I hope you've been blessed. And listen, if you ever want to come with us, you're all invited. You're all invited. And uh, we're right there. And we have completely repaired Eagle 1 and Eagle 2, both of them are repaired completely. If you ever want to come and visit us, we would be thrilled. Come and check it out. It's beautiful over there. Uh, and we had 275 people sleeping in those two buildings this week. 275 people. So the building is being used for the glory of God. Hallelujah. There is a yes in our hearts. Simple obedience. What I love about today is the power that's in the simplicity of the gospel. Sometimes we make it too complicated and creates a barrier. Let's put our hands together for youth with a mission and the Joshua generation. Yes. Come on, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Be encouraged, because the harvest is ripe. God is doing something with young people, and he hopes that there will be a yes in our hearts to release them to release them.
the Lord is saying, stop lording over them. I'm Lord. Release them. There's one Lord. If you release them, you watch what I am going to do. Watch. It's coming. How long? Not long. God is stirring something in the earth. And we're so grateful to what he's doing. There might be someone on the live stream that there's a yes in your heart because you've seen through drama, you've heard through a word what the Lord Jesus has done for you and that, that barrier that's between you and him, that void that's in your life that you can't seem to fill. No amount of pleasure, no amount of money, no amount of illicit relationships can do it. And today, you know that Jesus is the answer. I pray that there would be a yes in your heart, that you would give it to him so that you can experience the power of his resurrection, the atonement of his death. Your past is in the past. It is over. I pray that the Spirit of God will come and rescue in that dark place and the entrance of his word will bring you light. I want to pray with you and if you're in that room and that's you, this prayer is with, for you also. Let us bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The entrance of your word gives light. It makes wise even the simple. We thank you for the release of your spirit that redeems us, that reconciles us, and that restores us. You make everything right. Lord, we need a savior. There is no goodness in us. There is no, religion cannot save us. Only you a relationship with you yes to know you is to live for this is eternal life to believe to know him to know God and believe on him who you have sent we want to know you better we want to believe more deeply on the Lord Jesus Christ and so God I pray for these who sit in darkness, that you would bring them, that they would believe in his death and resurrection and receive his life. I pray for those who've been sitting in pews and who look down on others and cause their own hearts to be distant from you. I pray for those who speak well of you with their mouth but their hearts are far from you bring them home you're married to the backslider you know who they are they know who they are would you work a work in them that is marvelous in their eyes every one of us bow down to you every one of us need a savior there's none 
who don't need a savior. Every day I wake up, I need you. God, help us to realize that without you, we can do nothing. We need you now. God, we desire you more. The world is trying to swallow us up, but none can pluck us out of your hand. And so, God, we come today with hearts overflowing, knowing that it's in you that we live and we move and we have our being. Take away the pride that causes us to trust in ourselves. Take away self-righteousness that makes us think because we do this or that, that makes us closer to you. The only thing that brings, makes us close to you is your son because he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life and no one can approach you except by him. We don't come to you because of our titles. We don't come to you because of what we have or who we are or the reputation. None of that. We count all of that as refuse. God, we just want you to bring us to a place of authenticity and humility before you. Wash us make us brand new God the world has soiled us and we need you we need you deliver us from prayers where we pray for sinners because we see ourselves as we pray as righteous God help us to be what you have called us to be and we're so grateful for the one who knew no sin and yet he became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God thank you for reminding us that we are the righteousness of God in him in him and in him alone and so Jesus we cling to you Jesus we eat your dust Jesus we follow you wherever you lead break our hearts again cause us to fall in love with you again and let not our lights grow dim Thank you for fresh oil so that our lamps can be trimmed and burning. Bless us together now and make us a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.